I'm Warren Berkeley with the Laurel Heights Church of Christ, McAllen, Texas. This year, once a month, I'm delivering a sermon that is part of a sermon theme for this year, Faith According to Scripture. The purpose is to take us back to what Scripture says about faith, and by doing that, to cause us to examine our faith in terms of definition, object, activity, and all that is associated with faith in Scripture. Today's sermon is a part of that series. I want to call attention again to the book of Hebrews, this time in chapter 10. I'll give you the verse location in just a moment. Hebrews chapter 10. Everyone in this audience could testify about various struggles, pain, stress, perhaps injustice. That may be on your mind lately. Things experienced in your life are observed that exert pressure against your faith. Some perhaps more than others. Some of you are doing well now, but there were valleys that you remember you encountered in the past. But it can be said past or present, no matter how your trials may compare to others. Everyone lives out here on earth. The vanity and the pain, Solomon said, is part of earthly existence. Everyone. Of course, I need to say, as all of that is considered, I do think we should not discount how blessed we are abundantly. Gratitude to God should always be present in our minds and should be a part of our ongoing motivation. Our earthly existence is vastly different from ancient times and vastly different from the culture and environment of many here on earth today. There are people in this country in various places, perhaps in Appalachia, who still carry water in the house from the well, who make their living off the land, whose families are torn, sick, are dying. Medical care is the minimum, if any. There are places in America which in many ways could be considered like third world countries. Our situation, most of us, is characterized by abundance. We go to the supermarket and select our food from more varieties than Solomon would have ever imagined. Houses, transportation, electronic devices, for many, good medical care, education, vacations, money in the bank. For most of us, peace and safety, comfortable homes, friends and brethren. On top of all this, the blessings and hope God provides for His people. Yes, struggles and pain, but so much to be grateful for. So, here we are now in Hebrews 10, 32 through 39. Hebrews 10, 32 through 39. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, 
and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. For we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. There are passages like this in the Bible you read, and you just have to pause and reflect and feel sorry for what people had to go through. Imagine that you take your family to a place where Christians worship on the Lord's Day and you arrive back at your property and it has been burned to the ground. But you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. You know there is something far better that God has planned for His people, a better possession and an abiding one. So you affirm your faith in Christ by words and actions and endurance. And the response of the world and the community is resentment, being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. You endure a hard struggle with sufferings. You know of brothers and sisters in Christ in prison. You have compassion on those. This is the writer's description of the former days the Hebrew Christians well remembered. And the implied thrust of the text is, having courageously acted in the past when tested and tried, will you now throw all that away? Verse 35 turns this into a prohibition. Do not throw away your confidence which has a great reward. If I may paraphrase this passage, Hebrews 10, 32 to 39. You have shown in the past that you are capable of endurance. In your former days, you did exactly as God expected against the pressure and persecution and hardship. Now today, you have need of that endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive the reward. The subject of this sermon is faith tested. And this is not limited to persecution. Any strain, any pressure, any pain are just the accumulation of circumstances that just wear you down and challenge your faith. We have need of endurance so that when we have done the will of God, we may receive what is promised. So I have these points to make. Let's start with the reality of life under the sun, so well described in Ecclesiastes. Solomon is just, well, in Ecclesiastes, he is real. This is the way it is. If you are wanting the best life on earth here, from the earth, and what the world has to offer, Solomon says, 
you're setting yourself up for disappointment. People have said to me for many years after their first read of Ecclesiastes, this is depressing. And I say in reply, have you read the conclusion? I think some folks get bogged down and they stop before those last two important verses. Solomon says, living here on earth without anything in your life but what the earth and the world offers is vanity, is depressing. And from verse 1 until verse 12 of chapter 12, he talks about wealth, amusement, self-indulgence, popularity, alcohol, sex, success, physical strength, has no ultimate meaning. Vanity of vanities. Temporary satisfaction that can lead to ruin and heartache. So what do you do after reading all of this despair and gloom? You read the conclusion. Chapter 12, 13, and 14. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Faith believes this and endures to the end, though tested, knowing that we are serving the God who made us, before whom we will stand. Number two, the gospel doesn't promise health and wealth. I'm really tired of popular evangelical preachers like Joel Osteen telling people they can have things never promised in Scripture. People just keep listening, sending in their money, wanting to believe that he is right, but not searching the Scripture. He is promising what God never promised, giving no sound biblical basis for it. He fills a basketball stadium. It all demonstrates what people want, what they're looking for, and may remind us of what Jesus said in John 6, 26, You are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. There were many who followed Jesus because it seemed to them like he might be a source of free groceries and health care. Peter was right later in John 6 when he said, Lord, you have the words of eternal life. The gospel is about eternal life, fellowship with God, spiritual food, spiritual health. Knowing what God is promising and rejecting materialistic ambitions equips us for testing, hardship, and even lack. If you know that you don't need a loaded bank account, the latest devices, and a better house, you don't need to compete with all the stuff your friends have, it frees you in spectacular ways to consume and enjoy what will last forever. Even if you have that loaded bank account and you use it wisely as a good steward of God's grace, still you know you'll not take it with you and you are persuaded your confidence in God has greater reward than anything you have in the bank, anything you have in your house. 
The so-called gospel of health and wealth is a setup, disappointment for you, and money for false teachers. Number three, as we continue to talk about faith being tested, sometimes there are no answers. There are events, illness, death, accidents, frustrations, adversities, injustices. We just don't understand. We sometimes think modern man is so advanced and smart and resourceful, we have to have an answer for everything. Or we may think preachers and Bible scholars should have all the answers when bad things happen, and then something happens that hurts and we discover nobody knows why. There is no reason we can detect, no cause we can get our hands on, no satisfying answers. Ecclesiastes 7.14 is challenging but wise. In the days of prosperity be joyful, and in the days of adversity consider God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. Not only is there no promise that we will understand everything that happens, God has designed earthly existence that way. You can't change what's been done. And you shouldn't waste time trying to get answers to questions that have never been answered by man. In funerals and memorial services I do, especially with unexpected deaths or the passing of the young, in such tragedies the question always seems to come up, why? I've made a personal practice of saying, not only do I not have an easy answer, I don't have any answer. I tell you, it is liberating for me to know and to understand I don't have all the answers. Faith holds us up when there are no immediate answers about bad things that happen here on earth. Simply stated, Christians know it will be perfect later on, and we hold to that based on the evidence God is given to accompany His promises. When our faith is tested, maybe we don't get an A+, but we don't fail. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence. My fourth point about when faith is tested. People of faith can maintain the activity of faith no matter how tough it is. Already in this series, I've referenced Hebrews several times. I'm going to go back into chapter 10 in a few minutes and then conclude the study. Right now, look with me back into chapter 11. I'm going to name four people. My question is, did these people have it tough? Was it hard? I'm going to name four people, and my question is, did these people have it tough? Was it hard? Abraham, Noah, Joseph, and Moses. Was it a struggle for them? Let's listen. Hebrews 11, 7 through 10, and 22 to 28. By faith, Noah 
being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in a land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. I'm continuing at verse 22. By faith Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible." By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch him. Now, what do these people illustrate? In the context of their experience referenced in Hebrews 11, they illustrate faith. But they illustrate faith activated while undergoing tough circumstances. They were free moral agents. They could have just quit serving God, shrinking back, giving up on the promises. The testimony of the Hebrew writer is they believed God and acted on that belief under pressure, in pain, while enduring hardship. People of faith can do this. No matter what dispensation, what era, what circumstance, God has designed faith in such a way it can hold you up under hardship in toil and labor as you feel daily pain and when you don't know why bad things are happening. Trust in God is robust. It provides strength you didn't fully have before you were bombarded. And this is one of the purposes of Hebrews 11, to say to the modern reader, they did it, you can do it, not because of their strength or your strength, but God's strength that operates in our lives through faith. And where does the inspired writer take all of this? Chapter 12. Therefore, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance 
the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And then what comes next? Hebrews 12, verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. One of the weights I need to lay aside is the faulty idea that my faith isn't going to be tested. That God has promised a pain-free, trouble-free existence on earth. In fact, we are tested. And that testing can do us good. Keep reading. Hebrews 12, 5 through 12. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. I heard someone say once there are three responses to trials. One is to rebel. Two is to resign. And three is to rejoice. James says in James 1 in verse 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Next verse, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Yes, there's our subject. The testing of your faith produces steadfastness. My efforts are feeble. I consider I am insufficient for the task. But if I have taken you to God's Word, if you have listened to God's Word, if you have engaged in the necessary discipline of self-examination, you can run the race God has set before us. You can lift up drooping hands. We can allow God through His Word 
to strengthen our knees to walk the straight path of faith in Christ, though sometimes it is very hard. If you are not in a good, strong, healthy relationship with God, if you haven't started to run this race, or if you've fallen by the wayside, why not find and activate repentance in your heart and in your life, and please get in touch with us if we can help. Thank you for listening.